glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Second Corinthians chapter 8, would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word here to begin the message? Second Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 9. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, and that phrasing simply means we're making something known to you. We're making you uh, wise to it. You say somebody's got their wits about them. We do you to wit, meaning we're making you know something here. We do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Can I pause just for a moment while you're standing? We're reading. If I told you, I want to talk to you this morning and make you aware of the grace of God that has been bestowed upon the churches in, uh, in Montana. Uh, what would you think would come next? What would be the evidence that God had poured his grace on a church? Amen. No doubt. Would we normally not think of grace bestowed as the benefits we would see that we have received? So in a... And that is absolutely, God's grace bestowed is evidenced by souls being saved. I doubt we would say they were able to give more, not get more. But that's the evidence of God's grace. When we receive God's grace, it enables us to give, and that's what he's going to say. These churches in Macedonia, we might say God delivered them from persecution. He hadn't. They were in the middle of it. <laughs> We might think a lot of things that evidence the grace of God. What he's going to say, it tells us about the grace that was given. So I, I just wanted to preface what we're about to say with us paying very close attention to what he said in verse 1. He said, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Inasmuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to give you just three points by way of an outline this morning so we can grab some understanding out of this text of Scripture. This text of Scripture we would use here in our church as a basis for how we go about giving to the needs of other Christians, how we minister to the saints. Uh, it may be ministering to a missionary on a foreign field. We would use chapter 8 and chapter 9 as a framework to help us understand how to go about that, that work honestly and openly and yet uh, transparently and so forth. And it's the next chapter, and we'll see that in the message, that God loveth a cheerful giver. What's happening, we put this in context. As I understand, if you read the remaining 
portion of the New Testament, you read the book of Acts in conjunction with First and Second Corinthians, you'll find out what we said at the beginning of the message. The saints in Jerusalem were poor through persecution and a number of things that happened to them. And so out of that had come the Apostle Paul, who used to be Saul of Tarsus, had gone preaching, established a number of churches. Now the churches that he's planted, that he's established, are, are being provoked and encouraged to remember the folks at Jerusalem. That's where they got the gospel from. And they've ministered to you spiritual things. Now you ought to think about ministering carnal or physical things to them. And so what had happened is the, the, the Macedonian churches, and that would be Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea. I think those three churches in particular were there in, uh, in Macedonia. And that began in Philippi when Paul went over and preached and souls got saved. But either way, those churches in Philippi and Berea, Thessalonica were severely persecuted churches upon their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and identifying with the gospel, their, their community turned on them and caused them great affliction. You would think that in their affliction, that would be their reason for not getting involved in ministering to others. They had their own problems, right? But instead, out of that affliction came great joy. How often do we put affliction and joy in the same sentence? Unless it is because I'm afflicted, I have no joy. But here, in their affliction, a trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. I have noticed something. I've noticed it in personal lives, lives that I'm able to observe. The more things we have, this is not always true, but generally because humans are generally just humans, the more we have, the less joy we have. The more goods and things we have, the less contentment we have with them. Some of the most joyful people you'll ever meet are people who don't have much and have learned to be happy with it. How many of you would say most Americans that you know are content? Meaning, this holiday season they're saying, I'm not even sure what I would want. I've got everything I need. Right? (laughs) You'll meet some like that, but not many. It's very clearly known that as soon as Thanksgiving, we could shuff that behind us. We can get right into Black Friday. We're thankful for all we have on Thanksgiving Day. And then on the next day, you can't just sit still because of all you don't have and that everything is offered. And what's happened is there's a, I think one of the plagues of America today spiritually is a sin called bitterness. Bitterness has plagued our land Because we're filled with our own way and we're convinced that our happiness is the end of our lives. That's our goal. Our own personal happiness is our goal. Then anything that makes us unhappy is deemed as an enemy. Anything that robs us of our happiness, so to speak, is all of a sudden something that's bad and against us. The Macedonians had a very different perspective. The Corinthian perspective would be very much like an American one. Corinthians were wealthy, even the Corinthian believers. You can find that in 2 Corinthians. They... They had lots of stuff. They were well-to-do. Corinth was a, a hub for business, and many of the people there were doing fine financially. But the churches at Corinth, and the church at Corinth, was pretty much a mess, or at least in 1 Corinthians, spiritually, whereas the Macedonians were suffering physically, suffering financially, but thriving spiritually. You say, is it possible to do both, to thrive physically and spiritually? It is possible. There are men in the Bible who did it. It's just not very probable. (laughs) But it's possible by the grace of God. And some men, God is blessed with earthly goods and they've known how to be content with that, how to use it. But generally speaking, we find what we find here in the Macedonians, 
uh, who have, who were poverty stricken and in a trial of affliction had given generously while the Corinthians had promised a year ago they were going to and they still hadn't done it. And they had plenty. That's what Paul's going to say. It's not that you can't. By the way, this message this morning, I'm all for it. If we need to preach on giving, that's in the Bible. But that's, I'm talking about financial giving. My message this morning is not about financial giving. My message this morning, it comes out of a text about that, but it's about a heart of giving in the first place and the need to give ourselves to the Lord and what that looks like in the lives of other people. I want to turn our focus to the Macedonians because that's where the Holy Spirit has turned our focus. God does give us people to look at and follow as an example. He gives us patterns in our lives of what it looks like to be a genuine Christian so that we can say, ah, that's what it looks like. And so what happens is we have the spotlight, the Spirit of God turned on the Macedonian churches. We find out that generosity has nothing to do with wealth. Generosity has to do with the condition of your heart. Generosity has nothing to do, and joy has nothing to do with really your circumstances in life. It has to do with your perspective toward the Lord and toward those circumstances. And so uh, this morning, as I said, I'll give you three things, beginning with the opportunity that the Macedonians were given. There was an opportunity that the Macedonians were given, and the opportunity was to take what they had or perhaps didn't have and transfer it to someone else to be a blessing. They had an opportunity to give to the needs of others. Now, I'll be honest with you. The opportunity in our land today to find someone truly deeply poverty-stricken right near you is not as great as if you lived in some other place. We find people today that they're not doing as well as others, but most Americans own a flat-screen TV. I don't because I don't want one, but most do. (laughs) It's not because they can't. They have one because they can, and the point would be, Most of us are not truly, truly... There are poverty-stricken people in this country. I don't mean that there's not, but it's not an abundance. But I don't want us to miss the principle this morning. This morning, we not only are blessed financially and economically in this country, you and I this morning, the average person in these chairs this morning, is blessed spiritually. You and I have resources. We have a Bible. Uh, If you're saved this morning, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. So there's a principle... That can be applied both in a physical sense and in a spiritual sense. And I believe what Paul was aiming at in the Corinthians was not their pocketbook, but their heart. Paul was not aiming. Somebody says, uh, the preacher today, you stepped on my toes. And the preacher said, that's too bad. I was aiming for your heart. (laughs) Ah. And I believe here, Paul did not have his bullseye on the Corinthian pocketbook. He had his bullseye on what controls the strings of the pocketbook, and that's our heart. Amen? And so this morning, the Corinthians, or the Macedonians rather, had an opportunity to give. We see that in verse 4. They, they plead, and we'll get to that in a moment. What they want, though, is the opportunity to join a fellowship or an agreement among churches about ministering to the poor saints. It's in another text that deals with this being at Jerusalem. But he says in verse 4, "...praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. There's a principle in the Bible that it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's rare to have a Christmas holiday go by without somebody in this biblically uh, literate society, and it's not truly, but if you're around Bible-believing people, somebody's going to say it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
And if you get clever, you can use that on somebody. My kids know this. I say, don't you want to give me your candy bar? No, Dad. Well, I want to bless you. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So I want you to be blessed by giving that to me, right? Uh, I'd make a good socialist. Anyway, communist. But uh, that, that being beside the point, there was an opportunity that they had because uh, of a need of other people. How many times when we have need, help me here this morning, when we have a need in our life, poverty of some sort, if it's not physical poverty, maybe uh, it's a health poverty. I don't have the health somebody else does. Where is our natural focus going to go? On our need. My wife and I have talked about this. When, when, when you're sick, like you truly are sick. I'm not talking about just feeling a little down or under the weather. I'm talking about you're sick. Do you know what all you can think about? Is I am sick. When you're sick, it's a great time. I mean, it's just naturally, all of a sudden you start thinking, how many of my friends are sick? I think I'm going to call them today and try to encourage them. No, what you want is who's going to call and encourage me? Right? Here's the Macedonians. They're in poverty. You know who they're thinking about? The poor saints in Jerusalem. I want to tell you something. Nothing give us joy like get your focus off of the person you look at in the mirror every day. It'll depress you. Amen. So the worst times I have spiritually is when I get looking and focusing on me. I'm going to say something. Some of you, I'm your pastor. Some of you have lost your joy. I'm not being unkind this morning. I'm trying to help you. Some have lost your joy, and here's why. Woe is me. I've got this problem in my life. I've got this problem in my life. And I've got this problem in my life. And by the way, we have problems in our life, don't we? And what happens is we start focusing on our problems and you miss the opportunity to bless somebody else in theirs. Paul said, now don't miss it, this is in the Bible. I'm not being philosophical this morning. This is Bible. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Some may say, well, you know, I can't think about being a blessing to somebody else. i got too many problems in my own life. Well, the Macedonians steal that excuse from us. How am I supposed to minister to a sick person? I'm sick. You're nobody is better fitted to minister to a sick person than you. I'm not talking about go spread a physical sickness. But if you've got cancer, you know what? Nobody is better fitted to minister to a cancer patient than you. If you are poverty-stricken, you are nobody. I'm not talking about problems created by sin. I'm talking about natural problems are created by people that are evil in our lives. If you've got a poverty in your life, you are well fitted to minister to the same poverty in somebody else's life. The churches of Macedonia had poverty and deep affliction. You know what the church at Jerusalem had? Poverty because of a trial of affliction. The, the, the church in, in Macedonia, the Thessalonians and the Bereans and the Philippians, they knew what it was like to lose your income because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And they said, we can, this is what we see in scripture, we've got to be part of helping them. We've got to be part, we, you know, why would they feel such a, a need to help the saints in Jerusalem? Because they knew what it was like to be on the end of needing the help. And the Bible is clear throughout Corinthians. One of, the thing, one of the reasons God allows us to go through affliction is that we may minister to others in the same. And when you and I try to despise or avoid the things that cause us grief, we are missing an opportunity. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, verse 2, count it all... Opportunity to complain. Count it all joy when you fall into divers. Now, that doesn't mean people that dive down the ocean. It means various kinds, diverse temptations, 
knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. Why? That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Meaning, God says, I'm using your afflictions to enable you to be used of me. And what happened is the Macedonians knew what it was like to be in a trial of affliction. So when they heard of other saints in the same affliction, they said, we have to help them. Yeah, I mean, I say this, there's something in the heart of a person that is able to comfort another person when they go through what you've been through. Amen? It's absolute truth. But here's our tendency. And we use Christmas as an excuse. Christmas does not often turn into an opportunity. And I'm not railing on Christmas. It's up to us what we do with it. It's a day. You can consecrate it to God or you can turn it over to the devil. That's up to you. But the fact of the matter is it often becomes our excuse to be self-centered, self-consuming. This is a time for me to be happy. When in fact, at this time of year, it's a tremendous opportunity to say, at this Christmas, let's magnify Christ by doing what He did. Let's say no to self that we may be able to give someone else something that they need. How many of you are glad somebody told you from the Bible what you what was wrong with you? You knew, I've got something wrong inside of me. And somebody took the Bible and said, what's wrong with you is this thing called sin. And they explained that, whether you heard a preacher or somebody that was a friend took a gospel track or whatever it may be, somebody God used in your life to show you this is what's wrong. This is why you know what's right, but you can't do it. You're a sinner. You cannot live up to God's standards. But don't worry about that. Jesus did. You say, well, isn't there a punishment for my sin? Oh, yes, it's called hell. But Jesus already died, so you don't have to go there. And he lives to save you. Aren't you glad somebody told you that? Now, if this Christmas I am so distracted by my own troubles that I can't tell somebody else what Christmas is about, then I need this this morning. You with me? If I am so focused on my problems and so looking inward about, well, my life's not going the way that I thought it was and this is what I had planned, God is probably doing you a good favor. When our plans fail, it gives his an opportunity to succeed. And so I'm just trying to say this morning, the Macedonians did not have their focus. They were in a trial of affliction. They had an abundance and there was deep poverty. Paul didn't just say poverty. They had deep poverty. It's likely these people were living from one... We talk about living paycheck to paycheck. How many of you get a paycheck every day? When When I was in Nigeria, literally, folks go buy groceries every day. They work enough to get groceries today. And then they go tomorrow, work a little more, get enough to get groceries today. I don't even understand that. I got enough groceries in my freezer to last for a bit. Huh? And I want to put a little more in there if I can. <laughs> and we don't understand this. What happens is they are in deep poverty, a trial of affliction, but their attention is on their opportunity and not on their opposition and on their difficulty. Their attention was, oh, here's, a, here's somebody going through what we're going through. How can we help? <laughs> they had an opportunity. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, As you have therefore opportunity, do good unto all men, especially to them of the household of faith. Look with me very quickly at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. How many of us could be honest and we sometimes don't shed our childlike thinking and think of Christmas as an opportunity to get something we don't have the opportunity to get any other time of the year? Oh, what an opportunity. Christmas is coming. 
this is my excuse to buy a new car. This is my excuse. Maybe, maybe my, my husband or my wife or my kids or my parents will get me this because it's Christmas. Our opportunities are not getting opportunities. They're giving ones. The Macedonians did not see, and this is nothing to, to Acts 2 Corinthians 8. I don't know what time of year it occurred. What I do know is the spirit behind it was they did not see their deep poverty as a hindrance to being a blessing. They saw it as an opportunity. Or Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is charging the Ephesians about how they should think. He's going to remind them that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, give me just a moment while I find my place because I did not write this down. Uh, somebody can help me here. I didn't write it down. I know it's here in Acts 20. Mm-hmm. Verse 35. I've showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, how many of you have ever done what like I've done? Well, I know that's true. I know. But we need to stop on that for just a minute. It is true. It, it is more blessed. It's enjoyable. Isn't it a blessing when somebody gives you something out of the generosity of their heart. It's not wrong to receive. That's not what we're saying this morning. God says, but it's more blessed to give. And the Macedonians were there in a position that they might have been saying, we are going through a great trial of affliction. We have deep poverty. Somebody needs to give to us. Couldn't they? They didn't start a GoFundMe campaign. And I'm not against that altogether. Don't misunderstand me. But they could have. They could have said, we're the ones in need. You might be this season of the year saying, I dread Christmas. This is what I wish Christmas was. This is what I wish Christmas was for me. I mean, I don't even look forward to Christmas this year because of X, Y, or Z in my life. What am I going to get to cheer me up? Hey, hey, hold on just a minute. If you're in that position, you have opportunity to serve someone else who's in the exact same position. And you will find joy when you pray, God, lead me to that person who I can see is going through what I'm going through and I can get grace from you to give them what I need. Don't miss it. The Macedonians are in deep poverty and they're not thinking about getting. They are thinking about giving. Do you know why we're thinking about giving? Because we're always getting, getting, getting. So then what we think about is getting. Right? The more I get, the more I want. The more I want, the more I get. The more I get, the more I want. Covetousness is still a sin. And this morning, what we see in the Macedonians is something that I need reminded of and you need reminded of, and that is that in our, in our moments where we might be most prone to know we need something, there is an opportunity even at, look, if a poverty-stricken person who is in deep poverty can give, how much more can we? And so then uh, we see their opportunity in that. We've noticed their poverty. Well, if you're in poverty, how do you give? Someone says something like this, I can't give. That's never true. I believe that. The Lord Jesus in watching the treasury in the temple, you know the account. I heard somebody twist this and try to say it wasn't about giving. I don't know where that person had their head buried, but that the account of the, the woman with the two mites, she put in all her living. She could have said, I can't afford to give. And it was true. But she had something to give, didn't she? And, and here's where we're at. And again, I'm not, I'm not, message this morning, 
There's no offering to follow other than if there's an offering plate big enough for us to come up here and step in ourselves. But the fact of the matter is, when we have trials in our life, poverty means I have needs. And our temptation is to see, well, then because of my needs, I really don't have opportunity to give when that's not true. This account tells us, no, their poverty limited them physically, but the Bible says they had power to give. Where did they get that? Remember what we started with? Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. You see, they said, we, we want to help. We want to be part of encouraging our saints, our brethren in Jerusalem. And there was a desire uh, to give, the Bible says in verse 3, for to their power, meaning according to their ability. And then he says this, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. It works like this. Lord, we want to give to our brethren in Jerusalem, and this is all we can do. We'll do it. That's according to their power. We'll do what we can. And if you'll enable us to do more than this, we'll do that too. And you know what God did? He enabled them. If my poverty, and again, it may not be financial poverty, it may be poverty in some other area is saying to me, well, I can't really be a blessing to anybody else because of all the afflictions in my life. Oh, no. Do you know where God's grace is most manifest? In our inability. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I've learned to glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so we see their poverty in their opportunity. Their power was from the grace of God. God gave them power. They were willing of their own power, but willing beyond their power upon the power of God to give. Notice their purpose. Look in verse 4. It says in verse 3 again, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Verse 4, Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. I've heard a lot of entreaty since the day after Thanksgiving from small people. And it has not been, Dad, can we please give this? I've heard some of that. But most entreaty this time of year from small people is, can I get it today? Do I have to wait till Christmas? Can I have this? You know why that is? They don't have power to get what they're going to be given. Right? So there has to be entreaty. If we were going to beg God for something today, what would it be? Lord, please, please. Lord, we have, we have men and women who are trying to get to places where people aren't getting the gospel. And if they could get the financial aid they need, they could get there, would you please allow us to do more? Please, we're doing this, but oh God, I want to be able to do more. Lord, I want to be able, I want to be able to put my body where theirs is so that they can be encouraged by the presence of another labor. This year, would you allow me to give my time to the furtherance of the gospel to help somebody who can't hear the gospel? Would you please let me give something? That's not our mentality at all. If we were poverty stricken, we'd say, there might be much entreaty. You seem to be doing okay. Could you spare a little? You seem to be doing all right. We need to start a fundraising campaign because, you know, we need to build a new structure and go into $150,000 debt, so let's go and treat everybody to give to us so we can build something great for ourselves, I mean, for the Lord. Are you with me this morning? Our minds need turned around. It's where the Corinthians were. Their entreaty was not, can I please get? Can I please get? It was, can we please give? I, you know why, why would they have to beg Paul to give? You know why? I got news for you. 
If I took a trip back to Africa or to some even more poverty-stricken nation and they said, can we please, we've heard that there are some folks back in America that, that just went through a tornado in Kentucky. We would love to give to those people. I'd be like, look, you don't need to worry about that. It's okay. They'll be all right. You, you don't have enough to put a meal on your table tomorrow. And they're like, but please, we've gathered all these things together. Would you please take this back to those people? We just want to be a blessing. I've met people like that, and you probably have too. That out of their deep poverty and affliction, that, but, but we beg you, let us take part. I can hear Paul saying, folks, you, you can't even pay your own bills. Why are you thinking about giving to somebody else? They said, but we, please, we know what they're going through. We know what it would do for them to know some other Christian knows about them and loves them and cares for them. Please, God, please this week let me give the gospel to somebody. Many are praying, oh, Lord, please don't put me in a place where I feel like I have to. I'm not comfortable with that. Because it's giving. Giving. These Macedonians were begging, please let us have part. That tells you where their heart was. They said, you know what? Those people in Jerusalem have a need and we really don't have it, but I know God can enable us. And Paul, please let us join the fellowship of giving. Can you imagine if a missionary came through and we said, please, can we please take part in your ministry? What would they say? Yeah, please do, right? And we could give a number of illustrations, but the point would be the opportunity before them was to be used to give to someone else in their time of need. And here these Macedonians were in a time of need themselves. And then their plea, we see there in verse 4, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift, meaning they already got a gift together. They, They weren't like the Corinthians. They didn't give a promissory note and say, yeah, we will give this later. A year after the promise, the Corinthians still had not delivered on there. And by, by the way, Paul did not go to the Corinthians and say, hey, hey, cough it up. We need to raise some money for those people back in Jerusalem. They had said, oh, we want to take part. Twelve months went by and they still hadn't done what they said they would do. There, what, what does that mean they were doing? What were the Corinthians doing with what they had? They had already acknowledged they had it. That's why they said they would give it. Paul would deal with that later in chapter 8. You don't give what you don't have. You can say, I'm willing to. (laughs) But the Corinthians have said, we've got it. We are prone with our things to do this. May I say this? God will never pry your fingers off of it. We'll get into that in just a moment. He'll never pry our fingers off of what we have. God loveth a cheerful giver. I, I believe in preaching on giving, but biblically, I don't believe this. I don't believe preaching should ever guilt people into giving because then it's not guilt giving, it's taking. Amen. And so then what I'm trying to say this morning is this. These Macedonians were not being asked to give. They were asking, can we give? Again, Second Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, the Bible says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. Don't give because you think you have to. Uh, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God loveth a cheerful giver. And that's what the Macedonians were. Now the question would be, they're entreating Paul, can we give this gift? That brings us to our next point. What was it they were giving? Now, whether it was material, 
money. I, I don't know. It was, it was earthly, certainly, but there was something better than that. Verse 5, this is their offering. And this they did, this gift, this entreaty, this please let us give, not as we hoped, meaning, Paul, this is not what we expected. We did not expect the Macedonian churches to beg us to let them give. They're poverty-stricken. We would have never expected that. It's not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves, what's it say? To the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Meaning, they didn't do this in conflict with the will of God, but in a court, this is the will of God that they should do this. They got the mind of God that what they could do is give themselves. Now, that doesn't mean they got on a, a ship and were shipped over to Jerusalem. What it means is they yielded themselves to Paul and say, anything we have, anything we can do to help those brethren and to help you serve God, we're yours. I have had the privilege as a pastor to have members of the church. And I think of a member come to me and said, you know what? God's put our family here, put me here. Anything I can do to help this ministry, I mean this as sincerely as I can, I'm on board. And then watch that person follow through. From everything from cleaning the toilet to building something to going soul winning or whatever it may be. Anything that would help further the gospel, see souls saved, Christians encouraged. That's what it means to give yourself. I am, it is to avail yourself to God for him to use as he wants to. But how many of you say, fine, I'll do that with God. But the Bible says they did it with Paul. Not only to the Lord, but to the Apostle Paul. Meaning, they knew Paul had a ministry. And here's what what, what should be pointed out. They did not say, well, because we're going to give to the saints in Jerusalem, Paul, we really can't help you anymore. No, they added their giving. They're already they're going to give the churches at Macedonia, but they say, Paul, and if there's anything we can do that will assist you, we're yours. I believe that means our home is yours. If you need a place to stay, if you need a meal, we'll feed you. Uh, we're yours. You, we, we we know that God is using you, and we are given to God. So we're given to what God is doing. This is the offering the Lord wants this year. The day we take our hands off our lives, it's what the word yield means. God not saying, hey, 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 I want you to serve me. Now, you know what I'm going to do with you? Hmm? Do you want to serve me? Do you? Well, I want you to serve me. Now, you come on, you're going to serve me. I know you don't want to go to China, but I'm going to drag you there anyway, and you're going to preach for me because I saved you, and you've got to do it. God never used anybody like that. Thank you. You can go to be seated. Now, I just used him as an illustration. He probably didn't want that either. <laughs> but what if I said this? Jansen, would you be willing to come and walk with me for just a minute? Come on. Now look at there. Let's walk up here for just a minute. Just, just, just keep coming. All right, very good. Keep, keep, keep coming. Earlier, did you try to get something for me? Did you try to find a bulletin? Could you find one? But you tried, right? Why did you do that? Okay. And you're my son, you're obedient. Why are you up here right now? Would I would I discipline you if you didn't come up here right now? I would not. Do you know why he's here right now with me? He wants to be. He's glad to be with dad up here, helping out, right? Am I am I correct? You kinda wanna be? Kinda don't want to be? But he said yes. Here's the idea. Would you like to be sit sit back down? Go ahead, thanks. There's something that stands out firmly in this text. Thank you, Jansen. You're, you're a good help. That is the liberty that these Macedonians had in giving. 
God did not say, hey, 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 you've got some things that Paul can use. Now, you give them, you give them, you give them, you give them. That's, again, that's taking. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 5, And this they did not as we hope, but first gave their own selves. Verse 3 says, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Willing of themselves. Meaning, no one made these Macedonians yield themselves to God. That's the difference between coercion and submission. Submission is I'm going to avail myself to you for you to use as you see fit because I trust you. Right? Coercion is I'm going to make you avail yourself to me because I'm bigger and stronger than you. And I don't find any record in the Bible of the Lord calling his servants that way. Now, God is in charge, and ultimately he will prevail in his strength. Don't misunderstand me. But if you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to be part of what he's doing, then he is going to work with your will until there's a point where you truly, of your own will, say yes. That's when, especially when it comes to giving. We're talking about giving and serving God. There was freedom in the offering they made. Now, notice not only the freedom that they had. The Bible says they did this willingly, but then there was an order. The Bible says in verse 5, And this they did not as we hope, meaning it wasn't our hope or our expectation made it, but of, they first gave their own selves to the Lord, may I say this? It is impossible to get someone to give their resources to the Lord's work who has not given themselves to the Lord. We can try. We can try, but then it doesn't work. God loveth a cheerful giver. Notice this. When, when God saved me, did he just save my soul or did he purchase my body as well? then why does he have to say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies? Isn't it his already? Well, isn't it? I mean, he bought it with a price. Jansen, can I use you one more time? Do you have the ability to get your tie off? Would you give it to me, please? Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, I didn't personally buy this tie. I think this was given as a gift from his cousin. Am I correct? Or did I buy this one? Okay, but I can start asking my kids different questions of things that I bought for them. But I got news for you. I'm not going to yank it off of them. If I need it and I already gave it to them, then I'm going to say, would you please present that to me? And when I ask, if I command, there's not an option on the other end, right? But if I ask, that I asked Shaylin to do me a favor yesterday, and it was truly a personal favor. I said, if you don't do this, you don't want to do it. You don't have to. It's a favor. Would you mind doing this? And I meant that. God says, I beseech you, present your bodies. Well, why doesn't he just take it? It's his. Because he entrusted it to us. And he wants us to live in faith enough to give him what he's given to us that he might use it. My children, God's been so good to us to give us a house full of kids. And he's entrusted them to Jambeth and I to raise. But you realize we have to offer them back? Say, Lord, we'll raise them for you, but please we want our hands off. You do with them what you want to do. And they have to do the same thing. My will doesn't take over theirs. I find the Macedonians, no one said, hey, you must get involved in this giving. They of their own liberty and our own free will said, we want to. And here's why. Because they loved the Lord and trusted the Lord. The Bible says they first gave themselves to the Lord. My question for you is this, and please answer it with the help of God is truly in your conscience. 
Can God, with your permission, and I'm not talking about you taking over God, I'm talking about you being yielded, is he allowed to do anything he wants with you today? Anything. I can't answer that for you. I Honestly. I might think, oh, that one, yeah. Or, I don't know hearts. But every one of us has a true answer to that question. There is a true and absolute answer to that question. Because we're not talking about capability. We're just talking about the will. Are you willing to let God spend you however he wants? I got news for you. There are people in my life that if they said, Nevin, how much money do you have in your entire possession? And I came up with whatever number it is. They said, would you trust me enough to hand it all over and let me spend it however I, however I desire? There are some people I'd say, no. There are some people, very few, I would take everything I have, put it in their hand and say, if you're that sure, you know what to do with it, have at it. Why? Because I trust them because I know they're wiser than me, they're better than me, and they'll do better with it than I would. But boy, we have a hard time doing that with God, don't we? Lord, I know my life is the point between today and the day I die. Isn't that our life? And I'll let you determine what takes place in that span of time, not me. You can do with it whatever you want. If you want, whatever you want. Now, I'll tell you, that's the heart of giving. First, they gave themselves. You know why they were willing to give to saints in Jerusalem? Because those saints belong to the Lord. Do you know why they're willing to give themselves to Paul? Because Paul was the servant of the Lord. When the Lord has you, you're willing to let him use you in anything he's got going on. When not, the order's out of place. And all I'm saying this morning is say, well, do we have to? No. It's our choice. Are we willing to give? Giving yourself is just that. A gift has to be voluntary from the giver. And this morning, the Macedonians were not only an example to the Corinthians, but to us in the freedom in which they gave, the order in which they did it, and the extent to which they gave. The Bible says, of course, in verse 3, that beyond their power they were willing of themselves, meaning we're willing to give everything we have in our hand and anything more that we can get our hands on. But here's what we can give. We can give ourselves Whatever we have, we can give ourselves. So, Paul, if you can use me, let me know how, and I'm, I'm yours. Well, what if Paul says something that means I've got to miss whatever I wanted to do tomorrow? What if Paul comes along and shows up as he was prone to do and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going on a trip around the coast, and I need someone to travel with me. You said you would help in any way you could. Like, ooh, ha, ah, you, you came at just the wrong time. It's fishing season. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know I said that, but this is it's really important to me. You came at the wrong time. Business is really thriving right now, Paul. You see, when we give ourselves, what we're saying is I'm a tool, and the tool, the one who uses the tool, he can do with it what he wants. Amen? Amen. Finally, we've seen the opportunity they were given in their poverty, not according to their power, but God's, according to their power, but according to God's power. Their purpose in that opportunity was they were purposed to give they plead, they plead with much entreaty. The offering that was made, they did it freely of their own will. The order was they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to Paul to be used according to God's will. 
And then the extent was they not only gave hypothetically, they gave in reality. That's what I want to see. They in reality availed themselves and whatever they had that would be useful to Paul's ministry and the saints in Jerusalem. And now they're being used as an example. That brings us to our third point, the occasion that was created by their cheerful, loving, heartfelt, trusting giving. They create an occasion to teach and instruct. The Bible says this in verse 6, insomuch that we desired Titus because of what the Macedonians did. It stirred in us a desire to speak back to you again. Insomuch we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. We would like to see you follow their example. Verse 7, therefore as ye abound in everything. He's going to commend them in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us. See that ye abound in this grace also. Then he says this, verse 8, I speak not by commandment. Meaning I'm an apostle and I have the authority to tell you you have to do this. That's not what I'm saying. I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. He said, you've stated you love the Lord. You've stated you love God's work. You've stated you love God's people. Now you have an opportunity to prove it. We all know it's easy to say, I love God. Anybody can say it. But the proof of it is when we have opportunity to obey him and serve him, do we? I'll say this, and we're about done. I think two things prove the hearts of men, opportunities and obstacles. Opportunities. What do I do with an opportunity to do right? If I have an opportunity to do right and I forego it, then my heart's not set on what's right. What do I do when I'm opposed in doing right? Obstacles. Do I continue to keep my heart set on what's right? Opportunities and obstacles prove what's in our heart, and that's what Paul is saying. You have an opportunity to join this church that's far more poverty-stricken than you and take part in this gift to the saints that have need, and I'm going to give you this opportunity to prove whether or not you're serious in your statement of love for Christ. We say this week, I love the Lord Jesus. I love him. He died for me, saved me. You're going to be out somewhere this week. You're going to have a gospel track nearby on your person, or maybe not, and the Lord's going to bring that person to your attention and say, there's somebody you could talk to. Not me. I don't know how they'll respond. We never do, do we? But they can't respond to something they never heard. Amen? And we'll have an opportunity to prove, do I really love him? Am I going to take part in giving the gospel to every creature? It's his command. I've got an opportunity. I've got an opportunity to get my focus off of me and pray for someone else. Some of you are... You've got troubles. You've got difficulties, afflictions. And it's, it's very difficult not to get focused on our afflictions. Amen? What an opportunity to pray for others who share in that affliction. Similar afflictions. My point is this this morning. Paul said, I'm going to do three things with the occasion that's been created. I'm going to provoke you. I'm going to provoke you, not in a sinful way. Look at quickly, Hebrews 10.25. One of the reasons we assemble together is to provoke one another. One of the things that preaching is supposed to do is to provoke us to love and to good works. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another. That's getting the attention on the other. To provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more, as you see the day approaching. He puts behind the, the, the call and the exhortation, the challenge, the command to assemble, not forsake that you might come and provoke one another to love and to good works. 
I'm going to be honest with you. As a Christian, you get out of church or you diminish church, you're going to get cold. Good works are not going to be a fervent, regular part of your life. Work may be, but not good works. And so Paul says, I'm using the occasion of the, 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 the faithful giving, this example by the Macedonian churches to use it to provoke you to follow that example and to give you an opportunity to prove your love, verse 8, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Got a question. Is there an insinuation there in Paul that they might not have been sincere in their love? Absolutely. You know what he's saying? You've not proven it to me yet. You've not proven it out yet. You say you love him, but it's not proven. Here's an opportunity to prove your love for the Lord and for the brethren. It's an opportunity. And then he puts before them the pattern. Why does all this matter? Because here's here's what the Macedonians had done. They had conformed to the pattern of Jesus Christ. The reason Paul could say, be like the Macedonians, is because the Macedonians were being like Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, For ye know, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to people that were saved and knew it. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, when was Jesus rich? Somebody help me. On this earth, when was he rich? When he was born? He was born in a stable. <laughs> By the time he was two? No, he was still poor. How about when he got older? He didn't even own a donkey. He had to borrow one. He didn't own a boat. He had to borrow one. He didn't own a house. He had to sleep wherever he could find a place. When he had to pray, his closet was a garden. So when was he rich? Don't miss this this morning. He was rich when he was seated in heaven where he's been for all eternity. He did not become, he is, and always has been. He simply became a man. So when it says he was rich, it's referring to his eternal place in heaven at the right, the right hand of God the Father where he is today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So he says, though he was rich, looks at what it says, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Paul is referencing the gospel. He is saying your giving of yourselves and what you have for the furtherance of the gospel, the ministering to the saints is directly connected to your belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What the Macedonians have done is they have repeated, they have magnified Christ through their giving. And he says, let me pull you back to why the Macedonians' example needs to be followed because they are following Jesus Christ in what they're doing. May I say this, and please hear me this morning. The moment I or you get self-focused, self-centered, self-promoting, self-preserving, we have ceased to be conforming to Christ. Christ never made a selfish decision in all of time or eternity. What the Macedonians had done had known Christ well enough. They had entered into the fellowship of his sufferings enough to say, you know what, Christ in his poverty poured out his soul on the cross and today we have assurance in our heart of the forgiveness of sins. Today we are children of the God of heaven. Today eternity is going to be in heaven and not in hell because of what Jesus did. He did not have to leave heaven, but he did of his own will so that you and I can have and share heaven with him for all eternity. He became poor that we might become rich. I'm going to tell you what. Can I preach just a little bit of politics for just a minute? Communism says make everybody poor so we can be poor together, except for a few who get rich at the expense of everybody else. Communism as a system is out of hell nowhere else. Amen. Because evil men prey on vulnerable men, and they, 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 it acts as a leech 
It's the, people try to say Christianity is communism. Nothing could be further from the truth. Communism says you have and you have and you have, and we're going to take from you so we all have the same. You know, the difference is nobody took anything from Jesus. He laid his own life down. He gave it of his own will. And it's the same way we do. We taught on godliness in Sunday school. Why would I live a godly life? Because without it, there's no testimony for the message you say you believe. Can we not suffer in this life so others can hear the gospel? Can we not give some so that others can have an opportunity? So I got too much going on. My life is too much. I'm going to tell you, there'll always be that. How many of you, as far back as you can remember, have had troubles and difficulties in your life of some sort? As far as my memory goes in this life, there have been troubles surrounding my life somewhere because the days of man are few and full of trouble. If you and I are going to say, I can't be a giver, I've got to be a taker because I've got troubles, our Savior could have said that. In the garden, he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, and he said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You know what he's saying? I'm giving you myself to do with as you please. I'll be poor so they can be rich. And this morning, may I say this, if you're here and you've not yet come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, you, have, you, you, <laughs> you need to think about that today. Today, Jesus Christ did leave heaven. He was there before he came to earth. And we'll close with this text in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. The Bible says in verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He became poor. and took upon him the form of a servant. He became poor and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This morning, I would say this first and foremost, the person who's here, and you do not understand the grace of God because you've never received it. You've never received the forgiveness of sins that Jesus Christ himself can give you today. Let me urge you. He left heaven, became something he did not have to be, became a man and became a servant so that you can have salvation. He suffered the death of the cross and shed his blood in payment for the sins you've committed. And he lives right now because he raised from the dead to save you. And I, I plead with you, if he is speaking to your heart this morning through his word, calling upon you to call on him to save him, Heed his call. Please, I urge you, put your trust in Jesus Christ. Let him save you. Christian, this morning, so much of this message is to us. I wonder, I wonder if our lives, if we're seeing our afflictions and our poverties as opportunity or some kind of, of curse from God, is our focus inward, is our focus outward? It is more blessed to give than to receive. This question in finality, have you given God the green light? Have you said, Lord, truly, you can do with me whatever you want. You can command my thought life. You can command my, my actions. You can command, you, I'm yours. However you want to use me, you can do it. If not this morning, you say, well, I know he saved me. Can I encourage you to follow the pattern of the Macedonians? 
which is the pattern of Jesus Christ.